Do you know that? She kicks really hard. She might play soccer when she grows up. I'm not sure. But she kicks all the time. If you put your hand right here, no, it's um, not on mine, sorry. Um, <laughs> not on me. On Alexandra, she kicks one side all the time. And uh, it's really cool, but I've never gotten to see her though. It's kind of weird because she's our kid, but we've never seen her before. It's kind of weird. And then when you go in to the, to the ultrasound place, they'll take the ultrasound and you see a grainy little two-dimensional picture. And you're like, oh yeah, there she is. You can kind of see her, see her head, see her back, her spine. You can sometimes see her little hands. And that's pretty cool. And then did you know that they had this new technology? It's not that new, but uh, it's like a 3D ultrasound. So you get to kind of see the baby's face a little bit better. But even that, they always kind of look like a big blob. Uh, just like sometimes if they have their hands in front of their face, which is what happened to us last time, we didn't even get a picture because her hands were in front of her face. So it just looked like you, all you could see was like a tiny little nose and then like a big blob in front of her head. And they're like, that's her hand. So anyway, we didn't get a good picture, but I wonder what you would think of me if I took those ultrasound pictures and I just cherished those for the rest of my life. And I never, ever thought it would be necessary to ever see Eden in real life. If I was just like, yeah, you know what? I'm good. I got the pictures of my daughter right here. I'm good. I never, I don't even want to see her. I just, I'll leave that to Alexandra. I don't want to look at her. Uh, but I'm just, because I love these pictures, right? What would you think of me? You'd think, John is weirder than I thought he was. <laughs> I thought he was weird, but I didn't know he was that weird, right? Because that's just weird. Because the whole point of seeing the pictures is waiting to see face to face, right? That, that's the thing that you get excited about. Well, the problem is a lot of people, that just, that, picture that I just described to you of seeing a blurry picture and being satisfied with a little bit of information. That's where a lot of people are at with God. They know a little bit about God and they think that's good enough for me. I know that he's big. I know that he's holy. I know, I know that. So that's all I need to know about God. But the reality is there's a lot more that God wants us to know. And just like with Eden, we saw the ultrasound and then the 3D ultrasound and soon we'll see her face to face and we'll see in more detail because we want to see her in more detail, obviously, because she's our kid. God in his word reveals more about himself over time. And what we're gonna come to right now in the book of Isaiah is where God reveals so much about himself. This is a very detailed picture of God. And I want you to think if you're a person who claims to be a Christian, you're a person who claims that you love God, and that you trust God, and that you want to know God. Well, I want us tonight to put that to the test by the way that we observe and look at what God describes about himself. Because tonight, you're gonna see a very clear picture of who God is in Isaiah chapter 40, and I want you to pay, pay careful attention to it because it is so important. If you say you love God, and you say you trust God, there should be nothing more exciting than seeing God with more clarity, and that's what we're gonna do tonight. So grab your Bibles, look at Isaiah chapter 40 together. Isaiah 40. Last week, we covered four chapters. Tonight, we're only covering one chapter, 31 verses here. The reason we're only covering one chapter in Isaiah is because there's so much important information about God. I know a lot of sermons, we talk about characters in the Bible, right? We talked about Hezekiah last week. We talked about some of those ancient kingdoms that were fighting against the Israelites before, right? That's usually what we talk about when we're looking at Isaiah. You know, in the New Testament, we look at teachings that we should follow, right? We hear the words of Jesus. Awesome teaching, right? What we're doing tonight is something different. What we're doing tonight is studying God. We don't always do that in every sermon. This sermon is all about God and who he is. So what we want to do is see God with more clarity. So check out Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look here. So remember in this book, we've just finished talking about how Hezekiah failed the faith test. Remember that? 
He failed that test last week where he was supposed to say to these Babylonians, hey, I don't need to make an alliance with you because I trust God and not you guys. But instead, he was lured in by his pride. Remember they said, oh, show us all your stuff. Show us everything that's in your closet. Show us everything that you have at home, all your gadgets, everything. And he was so excited to share those things and to show them. But God said, you shouldn't have done that because what you're doing is you're trusting those people, not me. It comes right after that, where it's just promised. Actually, look at the, the last verse or the last verse. It says, uh, Hezekiah, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that he has spoken is good for he thought there would be peace and security in my days. And that was after he said, there's gonna be a ton of judgment. Now, Isaiah 40 is like a lot of people say, it's the second half of the book. It's the beginning of the second half. We have just talked about judgment and we've talked about history and all these things. But there's a question that we should have when we study this book. What happens next? What happens next? Because God's just promised all this terrible stuff that's gonna happen to Judah. And it's totally deserved. They totally deserve it because of their sin. But the question is, what about after that? Is anything good gonna take place after? Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse one. Two words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So God is saying, yes, there is gonna be something good that takes place later. God is going to do something good for these people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Verse two, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Here's the problem. The original audience who got this, it hadn't happened yet, okay? This is future stuff that they're talking about. He's saying, don't worry, your your warfare, it's over. Well, the problem is the people who got this message from God, guess where they were? They were in a war. Their city was surrounded by enemies. They hadn't experienced this yet. God's saying, hey, in the future, God's gonna take care of these sinful people. God's gonna do something about it. Verse three. A voice cries, quote, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I know that sounds like what in the world is he talking about? A highway, building a road. That's what he's talking about. He says, hey, everybody, the whole world needs to know this. You need to build a road. Not a road like you know, where, where wheels are gonna be on it and, and trucks and maybe bicycles. Not a road like that. Here's the road that needs to be prepared. God is coming. Get ready for God to come back. You see how that's a good thing for these people? Because he's saying, hey, comfort, comfort. God's coming back. God's gonna come back. And in the New Testament, you might even recognize these verses. Who are these verses applied to? There's someone who says these words. And there's someone who the gospel writers say, that's what his role was. It's John the Baptist. When Jesus came on the scene, he had someone come before him and it was like he was shouting in the wilderness, hey, everybody, everybody, get ready. God's coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is coming. The Messiah, everybody, look at him. That's what John's role was. He quotes these verses. Now, verse six says, a voice says for a second time, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? That just means yell something. What is he supposed to yell? All flesh is like grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are like this grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. He's saying that even though they're in this crazy situation with all these enemies, all these opponents of God, here's what God's word for his people is. Just know this. Everybody, they're just like 
grass that grows up for a little bit and then dies later on. But God, his word, it stands forever. That's why verse nine says, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news, which is kind of funny. It's like he's telling a city to say something. He says, get up on a high mountain, Zion. Here's the thing, Zion was on a mountain. It's like telling you know, people in a mountain town like you know, Big Bear, hey, Big Bear, get on a high mountain. It's like, well, we're already there. Well, what are they supposed to do when they get on this high mountain? They're supposed to lift up their voice with strength to the surrounding cities of Judah. Look what they're supposed to say. It's in quotes here in verse nine. Behold your God. Behold your God. So that's the entire point of what we're gonna look at tonight. What does it mean for you and for me to behold your God? The situation here is it's necessary to see God because they're afraid, hey, I don't know what's gonna happen to us afterwards. God's made promises, but what's gonna happen? Is God really gonna keep those promises? And he says, hey, everybody, stop and look at God. Let's think about God for a minute. And God's gonna say a lot about himself. But I want that to be the thing. That word behold, it's a word we don't use very often. It's at the top of your worksheet, the word behold. That's a big part of tonight. I want you to understand what that word means. Behold means for you to look. It means it says, I stop, look, pay attention to something that's happening. That's what the word behold means. It's the word that John the Baptist used when he talked about Jesus. He said, everybody stop and look, behold, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's trying to get everybody to stop and see Jesus, okay? This text is getting you and me to stop what we're doing. We think about so many things every day. You think about sports, you think about um, your, your time at school, you think about math equations, you write English papers, you do all this stuff. You talk to your friends, you go on social media, you listen to music, you are always getting information. Here's the thing you want to do tonight. Stop, stop and behold God. Let's look at God. That's what tonight's sermon is going to be all about. So you got four points. They all say the word behold. Do you notice that? You're like, I don't even know what behold means. What does behold mean? It means stop, look, pay attention, understand something. Okay? We're going to look at God tonight. We're going to look at his character, and that's going to make a huge difference for our life. The first thing we see here in the next verse, look at verse 10. It says, behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. So he's doing some saving work here. It's like he just won a battle and he's saving a people. Imagine if your city was trapped by a bunch of mean, angry people on the outside and someone came in and defeated the enemy. That's what's happening here. God's saying, I'm gonna save you people. And he says in verse 11, not only is he so strong like that, but he'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms and he'll carry them in his bosom. That means like you can imagine picking up a little lamb, right? And grabbing it and just kind of carrying it really close to your chest, right? It's what people do to their pets or their babies, right? You take a baby, you ever held a baby? It's really weird. I've I've been holding a couple babies recently. Um, You just take it and like, what do you do with this, this child, you know? The most natural thing to do is just kind of like, okay, they just kind of want to be right here, right? Or you just kind of hold them out awkwardly, which I've done that before. But the most natural thing to do is like you just take them, pick them up and you're like, okay, hold them right here, okay? That's the picture of God here. It says, first of all, he's coming like a warrior that's just won a big battle. He's got his shield and his spear and his sword and he's just won this battle. But you know what else he does? He grabs his people up, picks them up, holds them close in his bosom. It says he'll carry them. He'll gently lead those that are with young. Right, this God who's so strong and powerful, at the same time, he has deep care and love for his people. That's the first point I want you to write down. If we're going to behold God, first thing about God I want to see in this text is behold God's deep, loving care 
for his people. Behold God's deep, loving care for his people. That text that we saw before, verse 6 to 8, talks about how the people are like grass that grows and then it fades. It's interesting because in Israel, the grass that he's talking about is a lot like the grass that we see grow up on the hillsides um, of like San Juan Capistrano. You know, those places where it's a bunch of hills right now, it's kind of brown, but some parts of the spring, it turns into like really green grass and then those yellow flowers show up. You know, those yellow flowers that kind of are on the banks, the hillsides, right? So what happens when those grow up and then there's a hot day? They die. They die within like two or three days, okay? Same thing happens in Israel with their wildflowers. That's what he's talking about. He says the people that you think are so strong and powerful that you're afraid of, they're like that, those wildflowers that grow up for a short amount of time. They might look intimidating or big and scary, but guess what happens after the, the breath of the Lord, right? The wind from God blows on them. They die. They turn brown. They turn into forest fire territory, right? That's what he's saying about all the people that they might be afraid of. But he's saying, no, but me, God, my word, it remains forever. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, he says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It says, just like rain comes down from heaven, so to speak, from the sky onto the earth, just like it does that, it says what happens is God's word comes down from heaven onto the people. And then he says this next in verse seven. So my word goes out from my mouth and it shall not return to me empty. Okay? It's going to accomplish all that it purposes. God says that every word that he says, every promise he makes, he's going to fulfill. That's something that we should stop and think about. That every promise God makes, he's going to fulfill. Then he says he's like a shepherd that takes up his people. Think about how those two truths go together. If God's going to keep all of his promises and he says he'll take care of his people, what does that mean for his people? That they can trust God every time. That even when situations look scary and hard, well, we just read right here, the people, they're like that grass that grows up, those wildflowers that are up for a little bit. What happens after the, the wind goes on them? They fade away, right? But God, he remains forever. Jesus picks up on this language in John 14, or John 10, 14. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says later on in that passage, this is John 10, 27 and 28. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. When you read these verses about God being a shepherd who cares for his people, I do want you to see how that applies to every single Christian in the room. Every person who knows God, every person who's repented of their sins and puts their faith in Jesus, okay? Here's what this says about you. Jesus says it again. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's a promise that God makes. Does God make promises and sometimes not keep them? No, we just said, no, he always keeps his promises. Drop down in your passage to verse 27, Isaiah 40, 27, the end of this chapter. He asks the people a question. He says, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? So he's talking about these Judeans, these people who feel abandoned by God. He says, why do you say that my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? He's basically saying, why do you guys think that God has forgotten about you? When times are hard, why do you think that, oh, God doesn't care about you? 
He says, why do you think that? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And verse 29, he gives power to the faint. To the people that are going through something very hard, if you're one of God's people, here's what God promises. He will give you strength. He'll help you. He's a God who has a deep loving care for his people. It says to him who has no might, he will increase his strength. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall fall exhausted. I know that's true because I've played basketball with some of you, okay? What happens? You play over and over and over again. You have good energy. And then even, even you, of all the energy in the world, after a while, guess what happens? You get tired, you're totally winded, and you're like, I can't go anymore. Okay? That's what he's saying here. Even people with a lot of energy, they can work and work and work and play and play and play. And at some point, they run out of energy, right? Everybody does. Here's what it says about God. But those who wait on the Lord, those who trust in him, they, those people will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is what God is promising to his people right here. Look at it. He's saying, I promise to give you strength. Even times are hard. Even when things aren't good, I promise to give you strength. So this whole point, about seeing God's deep loving care. Okay? So important for us because I want you to challenge yourself right now and think, how often do I think about that? Think about it. How often do I think about God's deep care for his people? How often? Do I think about it sometimes or just a little bit? Because right? this is an important part of God's character. This is one of those parts of God's character that if we forget about, think about this. If you forget that God takes care of you, you're gonna be anxious. You're gonna be afraid. You're gonna be nervous about everything. You're going to feel like everybody's out to get you. You're going to feel all of those things. Right now, work backwards. Maybe if you do feel all those things, anxious, scared, feel like everybody's out to get you, maybe part of your problem is you're forgetting who God is. Or maybe you don't know. Maybe you've never heard. Right? That's why I think it's so interesting. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Or maybe you just haven't heard. But probably he's being sarcastic there. He's saying, you should know this. But it's like you've forgotten it. That God is the everlasting God. He gives power to his people. That idea of not being scared or afraid is something that Jesus picks up on. He says it in Matthew chapter six. He says, don't be anxious about your life. What he says next is, look at the birds of the air. Have you ever stopped and thought about birds? Look at birds, you're just a normal person. You don't think about birds? Anyway, Jesus says, think about the birds for a second, okay? They don't sow or reap. That means they don't work any piece of ground, but guess what? They still get their food, don't they? Why? Why do birds get their food? Well, because they got really good beaks. And No, because God takes care of them. They would not get any food if God put them on Mars. Right? God takes care of them. He provides for them in the same way he provides for you. He says, don't you think that God cares a little bit more about you than he does some bird? That has a little piece of you know, worm sticking out of his mouth. So if you're tempted to think, no, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't, he hasn't done anything for me. We'll stop and think, okay, no, no, no. God's taking care of me in a big way. He's giving me clothes. He's giving me food. He's giving me parents. He's giving me stuff, friends, whatever it is. God's taking care of you. Verse 30 of that passage, this is Matthew chapter six, verse 30. Talks about the grass of the field too. He says, if God clothes the flowers of the field, which are alive today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? If you're afraid that you won't be taken care of, you're afraid that something won't go well for you, he says, don't you think that God cares about you? 
Psalm 145 puts it like this. This is Psalm 145, verse 15 to 17. It says, the eyes of all people look to you, God, and you give them their food in their due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. I want you to realize that every time you've ever felt warm, instead of being freezing cold, have you ever been freezing cold? Really cold. Every time you've ever felt warm, guess what God did? God gave you that warmth. God gave you that blanket. Every time you've ever felt hungry, guess what? Where'd the food come from? God, right? Yeah, it came from the store, but who, where'd it come from before that? Right, well, it came from the truck. Where'd it come from before that? Well, it came from a farm somewhere. Where'd it come from before that? Well, it came from the ground. So you're telling me your food just magically grows out of the ground? God made that happen. God set this up. Every desire that you've ever had that's been satisfied, guess what? God did that. Every meal, every breath, every piece of clothing, every fun time, every relationship, all of it is thanks to God. God gave you all of that. There's nothing that you've ever experienced or had that God did not give you, whether good or bad in your mind. That's the reality. It says, you, just, you satisfy the desires of every living thing. In the next verse, this is Psalm 145, 17. It says, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and he's kind in all of his works. So before you doubt God and before you're blaming God for not having the things that you want, which might be where some of you are at, some of you maybe wish that you had better friends or you had better talents or you had a different brain or were born in a different place or had different parents. Before you question that, it says God is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. So that's the first big thing that we learn here in Isaiah 40. What's next? Okay. Verse 12, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. Let's look at it. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Think this through. Who's measured the waters, the oceans, the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean? I saw a video this week talking about how deep the ocean is. Have you ever seen that? How you know, big the stars are, how deep the ocean is, right? Huge. It says God takes all, like, remember, remember going to the beach, right? Aliso Creek, Salt Creek, San Clemente, Laguna Beach, wherever you go, right? Crescent, some of you. <laughs> yeah, the leaders are like, oh, we always go to Crescent, right? Okay. Now, picture being there, right? How much water can you put in your hand? How much? Right? Show me. You just, just, just not much, right? Okay. How many uh, scoops would it take to just move it from Crescent maybe to like uh, somewhere else? Just all of it, right? I'm not talking about, a little, I'm talking about all of it. All of the water of Laguna Beach? No. All of the of Pacific Ocean. Whole thing. And you know, while you're at it, let's drain the whole ocean. Can you do that? How, how long would that take you? Right? Take you forever, right? Wouldn't even work, right? Just drink it. I don't think that would work either. <laughs> I think you'd get sick at some point, right? But think about it. How long would it take you, right? Because you're a smart person, right? You're powerful, right? You're wise. You're strong. You don't need God, right? I mean, that's the picture that he's giving you, Right? And God takes all the water. It's like, oh, he could fit in the palm of his hand. No problem. He made all of it. Next thing. It says, who's measured the water in the hall of his hand? Answer, God. Who's marked off the heavens with a span? Okay, you know what a span is? Look at this real, real quick. Look at my hand, okay? They used to measure, instead of with rulers and stuff, I mean, they had those back then too, but the easy way to measure with the hand span, right? How, long, how tall are you? Well, you're 
this many hand spans, right? It's like, what, like, you know, eight, nine inches or something, right? Okay, it says all the heavens. You know what the heavens are? The skies, right? How, how, how big is the sky? Right? You can't even answer that question. How, how vast is the universe? Think about it. From one end to the other, right? How big is it? You, I, I don't even know, right? How do you even answer that? Isaiah says, yep, you know what? God knows. And it's like just tiny for God. Just like the span of his hand. You thought picking up all the waters in his, the hollow of his hand was impressive. It would take you 10 bazillion years to move it from Laguna Beach somewhere else with your hollow of your hand. All right, he says, no, all of it just fits in him. Oh, the whole heavens from galaxy to galaxy, from star to star. Just a little hand span. Tiny for God. Minuscule compared to God. Next, it says, who's enclosed the dust of the earth into a measure? Right, a little tiny, little bag, right? Who's taken all the dust, every piece of sand, every big rock, every boulder, every mountain? Who's taken all that and just kind of like in a little tiny, you know, bag? Well, God has in a measure. Who's weighed the mountains in scales, in the hills in a balance, right? It's like he's taking a little, you know, scooping up a mountain, putting it on the scale, scooping up Mount Everest, putting it on a scale, scooping out Mount Fiji and putting it on a scale. Like, oh, I think, yeah, Mount Everest is a little heavier. Do you see the picture, right? God is so big, so big. Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Who's measured the spirit of the Lord? Think that through. What does that mean? How, like, how smart is God? It's kind of like the question. How smart is God? Or what man shows him counsel? Like who's the one that God goes to when he has a problem, right? There's times where I don't know what to do at work. If I don't know what to do with insurance, I talk to Laurie. If I don't know what to do with my car, sometimes I talk to Luke Clemens. If I don't know what to do with my computer, I talk to Danny or Juan or somebody. If I don't know what to do with my golf game, I don't talk to Mark. And it's, I don't, I'm just kidding. I talk to Mark sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. But you do the same thing. When you, don't, when you have math homework and you need help, you go to somebody, right? If you need help, with, you go to other people or you look it up on YouTube. What do you do when you don't know what something is? You look it up. You Google it. You YouTube it. Okay. Who helps God understand things? Answer, nobody. Nobody. Who can tell God something that God doesn't already know? Can you? No. Can I? No, I can't. Can God Google something and find something he didn't know? No. God knows everything, whether actual or possible. God knows everything. Then he says, whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught God the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Who? That's, that's the question. Who taught God? The answer is nobody taught God. God knows everything. He knows all things. He defines what's just and right. Point number two. This is a big thing, but I want you to behold God's perfect and complete wisdom. Behold God's perfect and complete wisdom. That's something I want to focus on tonight. God's perfect and complete wisdom. That he knows all things. You know some things. You know how to ride a bike. You know your little brother or sister, right? You do. But let's go with that. Understanding a person. Um, you know your little brother or sister, right? You know what they like. You know their favorite ice cream. You know what their favorite sport is. You know how they're, what video games they play. You know things about your siblings, right? You know some things, okay? Um, 
Do you know what they had for breakfast this morning? Some of you? Yes? Cereal, some things? Okay. Okay, uh, what are they thinking right now? Hmm. Unlikely. Where, where, um, where were they? Six years, two months, one day, and 12 hours ago, and 37 minutes, and 22 seconds. Where were they? What were they doing? Crying. Some of them were babies. Not alive. Okay. What, what, what is your sibling's greatest fear? Greatest thing, greatest fear. What, uh, what is your younger sibling's grandson's name? So it sounds like you don't know your sibling very well. Okay. Your sibling's not, but they probably will at some point. And here's my point. Here's my point. You know your siblings, right? I know my siblings. Okay. I don't know them like God does. Because all those questions that I just asked, guess what? God knows the answer to. Even the ones like, wait a minute. Their, their grandson's name? How, 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 do you, they, how do you know? Well, God knows their name, doesn't he? He knows what they look like. He knows what they smell like. He knows every fear and every anxiety that they'll have in the future. He knows every, I want that to blow your mind for a second, okay? I want you to really think about that, right? You don't even understand how your body works. I don't even understand how my body works. I don't even understand my, how my car works, okay? You don't, even, you don't understand how your phone works. That's totally fine, okay? God understands everything. There's nothing that God could ever learn. I want you to think about that. There's nothing God could ever learn about you, about the world, about anybody else, I think that through. There's nothing that you have ever thought or done that has ever surprised God. There is not an intuition that you've ever had that you think, well, God, God had no idea about that. There's nothing, nothing in your heart, nothing that you've done, not a word that you've said, not even a thought that you had that maybe you could have done something. God knows all that stuff too, all the possible stuff too that you might have done. He knows everything. I need that to blow your mind. Like, think that through. He plans the big things and the small things. Okay, there's some texts in the Bible that talk about how he plans the big, important things. It says that in Isaiah chapter 46, it says, remember from the former things, remember the former things of old, the things that happened a long time ago. God speaks. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. When is Jesus first predicted? In the garden. When Adam and Eve sin, God says, I'm going to do something about this. Without hesitation, God doesn't have to think, oh, well, what should I do about this? I guess I got to make some plan. No, already the plan. Already put in place. I know exactly what's going to happen. He declared the end from the beginning. Like, you know what's going to happen at the end of the world because God has said so. You have no other way to know. God knows. The best thing that God ever did for us, Galatians chapter 4 talks about it. It says, in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God has had that all planned out from eternity past. Ephesians chapter one says he's predestined people according to his own will, his plan 
From before the foundations of the earth, God has had this all in his mind. There's nothing that you've ever done that surprised him. There's nothing you ever could say or do that would ever surprise God. Now, those are the big things, right? What about the small things? I think God really knows and has any control over the small things. Well, write this passage down. Luke 12, 7. Luke 12, 7. Jesus says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. You don't even know the hairs on your head. Okay. Sometimes I've heard people say things, and I've thought it myself too. I've been guilty of this. I thought, you know what? There's nobody who knows me better than me. Have you ever thought that? There's nobody who knows me better than me. Okay? That is a lie. There is someone who knows you way better than you know you. Right? You don't even know how many hairs you have. You don't even know how much you weigh. Like, you don't know anything. Right? Sorry, that's an insult. You know some things, okay? But I want you to really think about it. You know so little compared, what there is, compared to what there is that you could know. Right? Even about math and science, you know so little, right? Humans know so little. God knows everything. He says he knows the hairs on your head. Psalm 139, another passage to write down. Psalm 139. David says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. It's like you don't even have to be in the room to figure out what I'm thinking. You search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You know all of it. God knows everything. I know that's a simple thing. And for some of you, you're satisfied with just thinking, well, great. I know that God knows everything. That's enough to know. Okay. But when you start thinking about the detail of that, it's like if I, uh, I think I've told this to you before. If it wasn't this year, maybe I told you before. If I said, hey, um, your, uh, your husband or your wife is here tonight. Have I ever done that to you? No, maybe it was last year. Eighth grade, it was last year, right? Okay. Your husband or your wife, they're here tonight. Would you like to see them? You'd be like, well, yeah, no, maybe. Right, ladies, you're like, yes, I would. Guys are like, I'm not sure yet. Don't quite know. And if I was like, yeah, no, here, here's all I'll describe them to you. Yeah, they're, they're guys, um, your wife, just a uh, girl, average height, uh, you know, has like relatively dark hair, kind of like, I, I can't really tell, and yeah, I guess she's pretty. That's that's all, that's all you needed, right? Ladies, how about how about you? Yeah, no, he's he's a he's a guy. He's got a, he's got like kind of medium hair. Uh, it's kind of dark, I guess. I think he has brown eyes, but that's you're that's all you need to know, right? You don't want to know anymore, right? You'd be like, no, keep going, right? I want to know. Wait, so what what does he look like? Well, I don't know. I I couldn't describe. It. You'd be like, no, 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 tell me, tell me, right? You'd want to know, correct? No, oh, you wouldn't want to know. Okay, whatever, <laughs> whatever. But here's the thing. It's one thing to say God knows everything, okay? I want you to think of that. That's like the blurry ultrasound, right? We've seen Eden before, but we haven't really seen her up close, right? The 3D ultrasound, that gets us closer, right? There's more clarity, but you know what's going to get it even more clear? When we see her, right? That's what we're doing when we're studying God, right? You can know basic concepts about God and that's good. And we start there. But even in those basic concepts of God, we're like going into a depth into those things. Start thinking about God knows everything. It'll blow your mind. Ephesians 2.10 says that he's created Christians as his workmanship to do good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's what that means. That every good thing that you have ever done and will ever do as a Christian, God has planned out. He knows what you're going to do. And the reason you're going to do them is because God planned it out. That should give us a response. The Bible says one good response to this comes in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths and of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of our God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord to be his counselor, right? Answer, nobody. Nobody knows God completely. Psalm 139, that passage that I quoted before, verse six says, such knowledge that you have, God, is too wonderful for me. It's, it's high. I can't attain it. It's mind-blowing, in other words. Later on in that passage, Psalm 139, 17, says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. I care. How vast are the sum of them. If I were to count them, if I were to count all the thoughts of God, they are more than the sand. They're just, they're more than infinity. I can't even count, but they're precious to me knowing that God knows all things. Do you see how that is a comfort to know that God knows everything? What does that mean? Nothing that has ever taken place in your life has been an accident. Nothing has been outside of God's plan. Nothing, whether it be good or bad, nothing. Nothing could ever happen in this world that God does not sovereignly oversee, nothing. That doesn't make things hurt less, but it does sure give us peace, doesn't it? So it's one thing to say that God knows everything. It's one thing. You might say, well, Google knows everything. Google knows a lot, doesn't know everything, right? Google doesn't know what you smell like. Google doesn't know how to ride a bike. And you might say, well, wait a minute. I think it kind of knows how to ride a bike. Google doesn't know your deepest thoughts and fears unless you've typed them in. (laughs) Maybe Alexa knows, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. But it's one thing to know a lot of things, which is amazing enough. But Isaiah does not stop there. Look at verse 15 of our text. Isaiah 40, verse 15. It says, Behold, the nations, everything that is big and strong and powerful that you think is strong, every billionaire, every gazillionaire, every company, every government, every army, all of them, what does he say? They're like a drop from the bucket. Okay? It's like. Imagine I'd have a bucket of water in one of those Home Depot buckets. You know what I'm talking about? Right? What happens? You stick your finger in it. Right? You pull it out. What happens? A little drop goes down. How long would it take you? Again, this is going to be torturous. Not as bad as the Pacific Ocean thing. How long would it take you to empty a bucket by sticking your finger in the bucket and just dragging it out? And then drip, drip. Okay. All right. Shake it off. All right. Do it again. How long would that take you to clear the bucket? Long time. Right? take a long time. Here's my point. He says everything that you're scared of, it's like a drop in the bucket. Those nations you're scared of, just like a drop in the bucket. And they're accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands, like find us. That's the big, powerful nations that were on this coast with their big port cities. He says, I take them up like dust. Lebanon, that big, powerful place up north with all those trees and forests, they wouldn't even suffice for fuel. It's not even enough for God to burn up, nor are there beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him, and they are accounted by him as less than nothing. Less than nothing. What does that mean? Well, it just means a lot, not as much as you think. 
It's one thing to know everything. It's another thing to be in complete control of the universe. Okay, and that's what God is. God does not just know everything. He's in complete control. Point number three, behold, God's absolute control over the world. Behold, God's absolute control over the world, his power. What if I told you I have an amazing idea for revival 2022? Amazing idea. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go on my birthday, July 2nd. We're gonna go on my birthday. We're gonna go for a month this year. We're gonna go for a month. Um, where we're, gonna, we're gonna do a couple things. So the first thing we're gonna do, I just really wanna get you guys all in space. So I got my friend Elon, okay? He's got a couple rockets. We're gonna do the first, yeah, well, Bezos is busy, so we'll get him next time. We're gonna go up in space. We're gonna do the first week. We're gonna go all around the galaxy. We're gonna do International Space Station. We'll do, Joseph, will, it's a long trip, but he'll, make, he'll bring the band, all right? We'll do worship up there. Pastor Mike, he can't make it because he didn't want to go to space. So I guess Pastor Rod will preach. Um, but it'll still be awesome. Um, yeah, but we're going to do International Space Station for a little bit. Um, but then we just thought it'd be fun for you to just kind of take out your own rocket. So then we're going to go off for the next week. So week number two of Revival this year. You're going to take the rocket. You can just go wherever you want. It's going to be awesome. Um, I'll meet you maybe at Mars somewhere. I don't know. Light speed. I don't know if that's possible, but... The best money can buy. And then we're going to come back to earth, right? And we got to get back to earth. we got two more weeks left. We're going to go to Hawaii, okay? Um, we spend two weeks in Hawaii. We're going to go to Maui for a couple, for like a week. We're going to go to Oahu. We're going to go to Lanai. We're going to go to all these different places. Nobody likes the big island, so um, we won't go there. But we're going to do that, and then we'll come back. And my thought was the last like four days, taking a big cruise ship, Right? So we, yeah, for, yeah, 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 Disney Cruise, yeah, sure, sure, Disney Cruise, obviously, thank you. Um, Disney Cruise, you'll come back, all you can eat, all the stuff, all the shows, um, the pool, all the games, and then, yeah, we'll get back to uh, Long Beach, and we'll drive back down to church, and we'll meet back here, and uh, that was a fun week, or month. <laughs> okay, it's my plan, right? It's a great plan, I think. Don't you think that's a great plan? Okay. What's the problem with my plan? This is very simple. This is not a trick question. What's the problem with my plan? You can shout it out. Too much money. I don't have the dough, correct? It wasn't long enough. Well, that's, I liked my plan. Fine, we won't go to Mars. We'll cut the time. Sorry. Here's the deal. I can't make that happen for you. Can I? Don't have enough money. Don't have the rockets. Don't have the cruise ship. I don't have the money, okay? So I can't do it. It's a great plan, but I have no power to make the plan happen, okay? So thus far, we've been talking about God's plan, and you might think, well, that's a great plan, but does God really have the power to do that? Okay. The answer is, all the plans that God makes, he has the absolute control and power to make happen, unlike that plan for revival. Sorry, we're not going to Hawaii. Um, so do you see the big difference that having power and control makes over making plans? makes a big difference. If you can actually make that happen, God can actually make all these plans happen. Look at verse 21 of our text. Isaiah 40, 21. It says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, little bugs, 
There's a cockroach outside my house today that I killed. Um, yeah, I never told, my wife, my wife texted me. She left like five minutes before me. She said, there's a cockroach at the bottom of the stairs. And I'm like, it probably won't be there. It was there. You know what I did? They're not, yeah, look at it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I kind of like brushed it off, right? Tiny, little, insignificant. He says every big kingdom, just like a little grasshopper, just like a little bug on the face of the earth. But it's God who sits above the circle of the earth. It's he who stretched out the heavens like a curtain. When he made the stars and the galaxies and everything that you look at in astronomy class and look through the telescope and you think is cool, guess what? God made it. God made it. God stretched it out. He made it exactly how it is. Verse 23 says, This God, he brings princes to nothing. And he makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their tem, stem taken root in the earth when, it, when he blows on them and they wither. The tempest carries them off like stubble. Who's he talking about? The princes. He's talking about the kings. Who are these people afraid of? Think about it. Right when this is being written, who are they afraid of? They're afraid of Sennacherib. They're afraid of Nebuchadnezzar when he would come later on. Right? They're afraid of the Babylonians. They're afraid of whoever in this time period they were afraid of. That's who they thought was so scary, but... What does God say? They're just like little tiny things to me. Tiny. He sits above the circle of the earth. Daniel chapter 2, God says something very similar. Daniel 2 speaks through Daniel here. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Do you see those two together? Wisdom and might? Why is that important? That's what we just saw. God's wisdom and God's power. If you've got wisdom and no power, you're a really smart person who can't do anything. You've got power and no wisdom, you're, you are just dumb, right? You're a big, tough guy who has no smarts, right? God has wisdom and might together. It says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and the light dwells with him. God knows every secret thing. He knows all of it. Later on in that book, there was a king who thought he was really smart. The king who thought he was wise and powerful. He thought he was all the things that God really was. It's King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of his life, at the end of his life, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, he said, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lift up my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. He recognized that God was the only God. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Dominion means rule or control. God's rule, everlasting. That means forever. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to all that he pleases. Among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. And say to him, what have you done? Nobody can tell God, wait, what have you done, God? You shouldn't have done that. Nobody can tell him because he has perfect wisdom. And nobody can stop his hand because he has all power. It's a good thing that the first point is true. That he has a deep, loving care for his people. Same thing is said about Jesus in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him 
all things were created by Jesus. All things were created in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Means right now, the reason this universe is operating the way it does is because Jesus is upholding it the way it is. The reason every time you go to sleep, you don't die is because Jesus is keeping you alive. Because Jesus is keeping your heart going. Because Jesus is giving you breath. Because Jesus has provided every meal for you. Because Jesus has provided the roof over your head and the clothes on your back. Everything comes back to God. Everything. Behold God's absolute control over the world. Proverbs 16.4 says it like this. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. Sometimes you think, well, the people who are, who are not friends with God, well, those people, they're doing whatever they're doing, but God doesn't have control over them. Oh, yes, he does. Even those people, even those bad things they do, made for the day of trouble. So if our God is really big and great and powerful, strong, mighty, wise, all-knowing, sovereign, any of those words that we've talked about tonight, if that's true, verse 18 is a helpful place for us to look. Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse 18. God asks us a question that should be a convicting one for all of us. He says, to whom then will you liken God? Who are you going to say is like God? What God? What king? Or what likeness will you compare him to? Verse 19, an idol? You think an idol compares to God? A craftsman casts it. What's the irony? God has said, I have made everything. And the people are saying, oh, I know who made everything. The thing I just made. Think that through. I'll say it again. Okay. God made everything. He made every person. He made everything, right? And when people say, I wonder who made everything. Hmm. You know what I think? You know who I think made everything? This little bronze statue that I just made. I think that thing made everything. Dumb, right? Doesn't make sense. He says, a goldsmith overlays it with gold to cast it in silver chains. He who's too impoverished for an offering chooses wood, right? If you, if you don't have enough money to make a little bronze or gold or silver statue, you'll just make a little wooden statue. Chooses wood that won't rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Think that through. It's like, okay, you have to set up an idol on its feet for it to even stand up. An, an idol can't even stand up. That's why God got so mad that they're worshiping idols. It's like, are you kidding me? I'm the one who made you and you're worshiping idols that you can't, they don't, can't even stand up. You've got to set them up. Remember that time in the Old Testament where the idols, the idol of Dagon, the book of Judges, right? they bring the Ark of the Covenant, put it in his house. What happens every day? God just knocks the thing over, knocks the statue over. Right? And then the next day, like, oh, we, we should put the idol back up. They put the idol back up. They come in the next morning. What happened? Face down. Right? God kept knocking it over. And then one day, finally knocked it down. And all it's, its head and arms and legs just popped off. And they're like, you know what? We should probably move this Ark of the Covenant. And God says, yeah, it's a good idea. You should move it. Because any idol, right, can't compare with God. Look at verse 25. It says, to whom then will you compare me? Same question. It says, whom will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Remember who God is. He's the Holy One, Isaiah chapter 6. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. What is he looking at? Look at what he says next. He who brings out their host by number. The hosts. He's thinking the heavenly hosts. He's thinking the stars, okay? In Babylon and all of these ancient kingdoms, what do they worship? Right? 
What happens on Sunday and Monday? Right? What do those mean? Sun day, moon day, right? People used to worship the sun and the moon, okay? They worshiped the heavenly hosts, the stars and what they saw in the sky. He asked the question, who, who made the sun and the moon and stars? And also, by the way, who brings them out by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. That's why he's like, every night you go out and you see the same old stars, right? not here, because of light pollution. But if you went to, you know, Palm Springs or Big Bear, guess what? You see the same old stars. Why does that happen? Because every single night, God upholds them and brings them out just like before. It's a picture. It's a poetic picture. It's like saying every morning, you wake up, and guess what you've never wondered? Hmm, I wonder if the sun's going to come up today. Why? Because God does that. I think we're so naturalistic in our thinking. We think that things just happen because they just happen. Nothing happens just because it happens. It all happens because God makes it happen. Every time you get a cut on your finger and it heals, guess what? God made it happen. Didn't happen just because, oh, just, this is what happens, right? We just observe what God normally does. That's the stuff we look at, right? When something falls to the ground because of gravity, that happens not because of some natural law outside of God. It just happens because that's how God set it up. It's because of God, everything. So he says, if God is so great and so powerful, he says, don't compare God to anybody. And worse for us, you might not compare God to other people. You probably don't have some closet God, you know, something you keep in your closet, maybe some idol that you bow down to at night after your parents go to sleep, right? You probably don't have that. I'm hoping not. It's kind of weird, right? Some shrine in your house. Where there's weird, funky lights and candles to some God, right? I hope you don't have that. Um, maybe you do. If you do, you should probably get rid of it. But I'm thinking the idols that you serve are things that are a little different than that, right? Things like your, the good gifts that God has given you. Things like your sport. Things like attention. Things like popularity. Those are your idols, right? You not, might not bow down to them in the same way, but those are your idols. Reality is you worship whatever you pay most attention to. You worship whatever you ascribe the highest worth to. If that's your sport, if that's your music, if that's your entertainment, that's what you worship. So I want you to write this down. Point number four, behold, let's think about this one last thing. God's supremacy. That means he's more powerful over every idol. Behold, God's supremacy over every idol. Nothing compares to God. Here's the problem that every person does. Okay, it's described in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, although people knew God, they didn't honor God or give thanks to God, okay? So you might say, well, it's not like I have some other God. Well, God says, here's the first start. You just don't honor me, right? I give you good gifts and you don't say thank you, okay? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? The importance of saying thank you to God. So he says, people don't honor God. They don't give thanks to him. And then they become twisted in their thinking. And then their foolish hearts, they're darkened. They walk away further from God. They claim to be wise, but they become fools. They exchange the glory of the immortal. That means the God who cannot die. They exchange that glory, that importance, for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. You might not think you have any gods that you worship, but I want us to think real quick. What are the things that you give worship to? What are the things that 
you give your attention to that, that goes above God? What are the things that you say, no, I'm not going to read my Bible today because I'm going to do this. Because I'm going to watch this YouTube video. Or I'm going to do this thing. Right? Let's be careful about those because God says, I won't share my glory with any other. He says, think about how dumb it is that people make idols. Even in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, says, little children, keep yourself from idols. It's not an Old Testament command only. It's something that we need to think about too. At school, what, what might your idols be? Wanting to be popular, wanting to finish your, your stuff ba- faster than everybody else, being better at things than other people, being better at sports, at church, what are your idols? Maybe being liked by your small group, getting attention. I mean, what, what is it? Maybe your crush, I don't know. At home, or your free time, what are your idols? Maybe it's sports that you're putting above God. Maybe it's your video games. Maybe it's your music. Maybe it's watching these videos, or maybe it's watching your shows, or whatever it is. Whatever you put above God, just beware, because what we just did tonight, I want you to see God with more clarity than you've ever seen him, okay? Maybe tonight that has been the case. Regardless, we need to continue to see God better and say, all right, if if God is all those things, if he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all the things that we just talked about right now, I should never give worship to anything else. I should never serve idols. I've noticed um, a lot of parents put pictures of their kids up in their house, right? You, you know whose house you're in by looking at the walls and seeing people's you know, pictures of their kids, right? Um, I told you before it would be weird if I, um, if I just cared about the picture of the first ultrasound and never wanted to see my daughter face-to-face. That would be kind of weird. You know what would also be weird? If I went and found some picture of some girl that I thought, yeah, that probably like looks like Eden, um, and just put that up. You ever thought about that? What if I just said, you know what? Yeah, I mean, I know what Alexander looks like. I know what I look like. We look, you know, pretty similar in general. This, this girl's not going to be like blonde hair, blue eyes. So we might as well just get, you know, some stock footage girl, brown hair, brown eyes. Let's just put that up. Alexander, why can't we just put that up? She'd be like, well, because it's not, it's not her, right? It's not her. That'd be weird, right? Some pic- that's some other person. That's not her, right? You'd say that's odd. That's what idols are. That's what idols are. You could do that with God too. If you think that God is different than he really is, and that's the God that you worship, you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping an idol, right? Just like if I held a picture, right? Again, I think about how weird this would be, of some like, I don't know, like stock footage, you know the stock footage photos, right, that are like in the frames, right? Of some like girl that had, you know, brown hair, brown eyes, you think that's really weird, dude, that's not your daughter, right? You should, you should throw that picture away. It was not, you don't have to keep it, right? You think that's really weird. Okay, here, here's the point, okay? If your view of God is wrong, right? If your picture of God in your mind is wrong, it's no different than what I just described, okay? We want to worship the real God, which is why it's important for us to study passages like this to see God. And that's what we're going to talk about in small groups. How can we know God better? How can we serve God better? How did that lead us to more trust in God? As we've been talking about every week in the book of Isaiah. So let's pray for that right now. God, please help us with this. Pray that we would see you better, more clarity. Pray that we would just take this more seriously than we do. Pray for these small group time to be undistracted. I ask that you would help guide our thinking. We don't want to worship an idol. We don't want to serve anything less than you. Please help us with that. We ask tonight for your wisdom and your guidance, and we pray that we would just worship you better because of what we learned tonight in your Bible. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.